Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are Marina Gold, a podcast featuring me, Chandler Ellsbecker. And me, Aaron Williams. Aaron, do you have any favorite Thanksgiving foods, Thanksgiving things to do, any, like, uh, I don't know, traditional thing in the, the Williams circle or just, like, something Aaron likes eating? Uh, ham. Mostly ham. I... I... I think I wrote a paper in sixth grade or a paper, quote unquote, about probably like a practice paragraph about Thanksgiving ham. And I I uh, have adhered to that ever since before, before, during and after. So that's kind of one of my one of my pastimes. Yeah, I'll tell you, um, when you live far away from your family and you spend a lot of Thanksgivings away from them, in fact, I've spent one Thanksgiving in Texas since 2015. The ham, just a baked ham, throw it in your oven for a little while. Uh, very, very solid, uh, single, not good at cooking Thanksgiving meal. Uh, Absolutely. That's all we're going for. Yeah. But are you a pie person at all? Is, did, did, would relatives just bring various treats and you end up uh, sitting in the corner regretting decisions you've made in the last hour? Well, I do that, but pie isn't the problem. Um, I'm not a pie person. I do like desserts, I guess, in some senses, but pie is not my dessert of choice, unless, of course, it is French silk, which is delicious. Um, We used to get that a long time when I was a kid. My grandpa would get that from, like, Baker Square and bring it to us. But, yeah, no, uh, no, no, I don't know. I'll I'll have pretty much whatever, but there I am a little bit picky, I think, when it comes to dessert, some things, including dessert. Well, in general, you put something sweet in front of me, I'll eat it, and I'll probably go too hard. But but anyway, it's it'll be a good week to to eat things. It'll be a good week to not do things. <laughs> yes. Uh, once we get on the other side of Wednesday, I imagine this podcast will go up uh friday morning but we'll see how things shake out in the meantime we have gopher football to discuss as always this game did not hurt as much in the moment as i feel like it did for a lot of people but going back and re-watching this 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 13 to 10 loss to iowa re-watching the key moments oops Press the wrong button. For for the listener, uh, Aaron accidentally uh, clicked and and skyped the heart react to the bad things I'm talking about with the. It gophers. resonates. It resonates. Yeah, clearly he hates the Gophers, but but this one has been a tough one to to look back on and to to look at all the moments of if this do us slightly differently, if one decision is taken instead of another, if. If Terrell Smith catches that interception, the Gophers probably win Floyd of Rosedale, and we sit here feeling much better about the situation, not expecting that Purdue's going to lose to Indiana this weekend, but at least being able to say, you know what, you finally got that monkey off your back, you've beaten Iowa, and if you get lucky and do your job this Saturday, you could end up in Indianapolis and uh, probably somewhere better than Detroit. But instead, we're sitting here in uh, in, in deep agony 
in torment over an eighth straight loss to Iowa. Every single time I have watched a Minnesota-Iowa game since becoming a student, I've seen a loss. Same goes for you, although you, uh, when I was a freshman, you would have been at Marquette, right? Yeah, I can't remember if we won that year, but maybe we did, but I don't know. Well, I, either way, it, it, it's, it's getting to the point where um, we have to start looking at things in, um, increase, in distressingly longer terms to define how long it's been since Minnesota beat Iowa. And it sucks, especially since there have been so many close games. How are you feeling after all of that? Is there anything you want to talk about with this game? You know, not great. Not great. You know, I watched it with some friends and, you know, it was pretty casual. You know, we we, didn't even have the sound on for a lot of it. We were watching the whole thing and hanging out with them later. And I just kept I just kept like reoccurring to me like every like hours like it just it just at like several different points in the night i was like man that just sucks just the circumstances the way it transpired i i don't know just 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 it, it it's a it's a gut-wrenching loss i don't know if it's the most gut-wrenching loss i've seen the gophers play but man again as far as just just you know things that we knew were issues things that just happened and just just the again the, the the circumstances certainly play a role in it too like you said the the fact that it eliminates basically our, our out a very outside chance of making making it to Indy. but yeah it's it's a hard loss it's as hard a loss as you can probably probably imagine i don't think there's a person on earth i feel i mean i shouldn't put it that way because that's a little extreme there are people in many worse circumstances but right now i feel impossibly bad for Muhammad Ibrahim. Yeah. I I went back through decades of Iowa box stores to to see when the last time someone ran for 263 yards against Iowa was as an individual. As best I can tell, it has not happened since at least 1970. I Um, think I read, I thought I heard, saw 1993 somewhere. Okay, I will gladly go back and double check, but uh, I saw a lot of 220s, some 240s. Archie Griffin had a good game, as he was wont to do. Some very good names on the list of guys who have run for 200 against Iowa. Uh, But the point is, this is a team that does not have this happen a lot, especially not this year. This is arguably the best defense in the country. We talked coming in about how their defensive line might be a slight weakness but it's still a team that gets in the backfield that creates havoc and they had two tackles for loss all day that's ridiculous Muhammad Ibrahim was sterling he was the best we have probably ever seen him in a Gophers uniform best I've seen anybody any running back in the Gophers for the Gophers period I mean I can't recall and I don't not especially vivid on the Maroney Barber days, but it's on. It's frankly, it's hard to imagine any college running back, save for a few more spectacular plays, maybe Reggie Bush or Darren McFadden or something, doing it with more style. But it's hard to imagine a more substantively, substantively stronger game from a running back period at really at any level, let alone in a you know in the game in the Big Ten against one of the best defenses, like you said, in the country. And 
the loss was not his fault, but you have to look at the fumble. Yeah. You know, you have to acknowledge, yes, it was just the fourth fumble in his entire Gophers career. And I am not going to uh, hold that against him because, again, four times in hundreds of carries, just it's a bad time for this one to be when it was. But, um, you know, that that played a critical role in keeping the Gophers from taking the lead, one of several opportunities they had to take a lead starting from the end of the second quarter. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, that was followed on the Dofers' next possession because the defense did its job, although Terrell Smith really should have had that interception. That is the most gut-wrenching play of the game for me to to watch replays of because it was in, it was in his hands. Mm-hmm. This this guy who's made a lot of plays for you this year, who has who made an interception at Wisconsin, uh, at Nebraska a couple weeks ago, who is having the best year of his career. He almost plays that swing pass too well because if he was just a hair slower, he wouldn't have been running as hard and what maybe the the ball would have not been uh, so behind him by yeah. you know a foot or whatever and he drops it. But they get a three and out and Iowa forces a third and seven and Ethan Kelly Manis, he throws a slant because it's Minnesota. You're going to throw a slant, and also like you, you want to convert. You, you know, this, this, this isn't necessarily the wrong decision. And he doesn't have really anywhere to go. He throws it to Lemecki Brockington, who is covered very tightly by Riley Moss. Moss. Uh, I, it's hard to tell whether Brockington, what whether whether Moss got a hand on it or if Moss just disrupted. Brockington's ability to make the play. Either way, it bounces up. Jack Campbell intercepts it, takes it the other way. And uh, with 28 seconds left, Iowa takes a game-winning field goal. We knew it was probably going to come down to these yeah. big swing plays, and it did. Yep. I was going to say, I mean, down to down to the score, I mean, it played out pretty much exactly as we thought it would. <laughs> I mean, I think we both – didn't we both say 13-10 too? It's just in favor of the Gophers, but in about a 50-50 game, right? That's exactly um, what we said. Yeah. You know, and like we said, it'd come down to special teams. It would come down to big plays. Who's going to get the turnovers, you know, and it, it not, not to say I told you so, but you know, that's just what, that's just what happened. That's just, you know, it was a really close game and in close games, that's what happens. You know, whoever gets those kind of fluky, you know, your star running back who never fumbles, fumbles. Your quarterback throws a, you know, a pass that, you know, it's a problem. Maybe it wasn't a great pass, but it gets deflected right into the guy's arms, you know. I mean, just some some sort of bad breaks, you know, on that on top of maybe some questionable decisions that just with how those games flip. That's how it happens. And that's how this one happened. Just to run through a bunch of other key moments, uh, I mean, Tory Taylor, Pindy was in the at the three yard line twice. Um, one of which became a that that drive where uh, Ibrahim ended up fumbling at the end in the Iowa red zone. But you know, he he certainly made an impact. Matthew Trickett missed a field goal, uh, more or less a chip shot fair to say, yep. from that position on the field, a kick he should be making. Um, also, a kick he shouldn't be trying, frankly. Fourth and one, 
the goal should not be against the best defense in the conference, if not the country, to try to make it 0-0 again, which is the way P.J. Fleck described that decision on Monday. You have an offensive line that is elite at picking up short yardage situations. They have, they have converted third into or fourth into or shorter runs this year over 90% of the time, 42 of 45 attempts in those situations. And you don't go for it on fourth down there. And, you know, that's uh, if you make it, that's still costing yourself potentially four points. The play setting that up, I would qualify as another key moment where Ethan Kelly McManus has a wide open Brevin span forward, but that span forward comes open like half a second before Kelly McManus or after Kelly McManus decides the play is not open. I was pass rush did a lot to get in his face, even though Iowa didn't blitz a lot. What what other key moments did you point out? There there were a lot of just individual things where you like just just one thing. You know, you, you could even point to the Sam Laporta stream to open the game. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, the other key moments, the only one that you didn't mention. I mean, the two big tight end plays, the one and the one at the at the beginning of the game that helped them to get on the board. I mean, obviously, we know this is not a team that can sustain drives. So, you know, you eliminate that. You, you know, you're in better position to take those points on the board in a game that points on the on point their premium. And then at the very end, um, it's not a as much of a turning point play. I mean, the, the quote unquote momentum had already shifted, but the long pass to the other tight end, right? Right after we thought they had kind of graciously taken back the touchdown on the on the uh, on the interception, you know, and then next or a couple plays later or whatever to have a long play to the tight end that basically locked it in for an easy field goal. That that also stung. That those those are plays that I really look at and say, man, you know, un, uncharacteristic breakdowns, but the breakdowns nonetheless, and you just can't have those, you know, especially in a close game. You know, you, you say un, uncharacteristic. This isn't the newest thing in the world. We can point instances Absolutely. where you play elite defense for 90% of the game, but it's it's just a couple moments here and there. Even last week, even last year in Iowa City, you know, the the big completion to Charlie Taylor over the top, the moment where uh, I forget who it was who caught the ball on a screen pass and uh, I think it was Tony Durr and maybe it was Thomas Rush uh, it, it was it was two guys both trying to make the play and they're in great position but they get in each other's way and off it goes for a touchdown on third down or you can point to the Devin Mockaby and Charlie Jones plays this year against Purdue. Um, or that big tight end against uh, Penn State. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's just these, these, these individual moments undermining great defensive performance. Uh, and they've been a bit more frequent this year, I've thought. If you want to point out just one more moment, you could say the little Sean Williams probably not fumble but possibly fumble yeah. that mariana sorry marin immediately recovered but there was no way they were going to overturn it they only showed one angle on the broadcast we got a couple more in the stadium but i don't think there was any way of 
changing it because if the body's in the way. Although one of my friends and I both noticed the uh, whichever assistant official standing next to Reggie Smith looking into the monitor was 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 a lot more active on his uh, notepad than you would expect an official um, expecting a call to stand mm -hmm. to, to be doing. So that was a minor disappointment. But yeah, to go back to what you said originally, this just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it really sucks. You're seven and four now. Your bowl positioning is significantly worse. The best you can finish, I think, is fourth place in the Big Ten West right now, maybe third if Illinois somehow loses to Northwestern. It's all just a bunch of wasted opportunities. Is there anything else you want to mention about this game before we uh, move on to next, or I guess this week against Wisconsin? No, no, you hit the nail on the head. You should have won, would have loved to win. <laughs> Winning's great. I hate when it doesn't happen, and this was a, especially, like I said, gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching loss that could have gone the other way so many, so many times. It, it didn't have to be this way. In a season full of it didn't have to be this way. <laughs> That's the theme of the season, really. It didn't have to be this way, and you have to live with it now. Saturday, there's a chance at some level of redemption going to Madison to play uh, a currently six and five Wisconsin team. So no denying them bowl eligibility if you win, but that this, this quick turnaround from one rivalry game to another, we could talk about the psychology of, you know, maybe it, uh, it, it it's easier to focus on the next game when it's such a big one, but um, that's all speculative. We don't know how they're going to react to this one. We can say, that Wisconsin um, is pretty mediocre this year. That's, yep. that's a, not too much of a stretch. Defensively, they're still very, very good. You will be hard-pressed to find many better run defenses, specifically in college football. Um, they don't allow very many big plays, and they don't allow you uh, very efficient running their They've allowed 3.8 non-sack yards per carry, which ranged sixth in FBS entering week 13. We'll talk about the potential of some openings in the secondary in a moment, but first we can uh, talk about offense, which is uh, under offense coordinator Bobby Ingram in his first That's year. That's the former receiver. Did Bobby, are you asking if Bobby Ingram played for Wisconsin? Is that Bobby Ingram from the Seahawks? Seahawks days. Oh, um, let's actually find out. Yes, it actually is. Good player. Smart I, slot receiver. <laughs> I have no recollection of him, but uh, I, was, I, I, can't name that, I can't name that many Seahawks from that era. It's a new offensive coordinator from last year, but it is functionally still very Wisconsin-y. Lots of 12 personnel, some 21 and 22. They do end rounds they faked off of end rounds they'll throw in some orbit motion um the issues are more in a level of play i guess so those are the differences where because of uh their deficiencies at quarterback they've been playing some wildcat packages with braylon allen on the other hand though uh grand mertz is um inconsistent as ever um uh, completing a lot more deep 
passes than he has in the past. Pro Football Focus has his deep completion rate up to 41%, up from 27% last year. But then on top of all of that, uh, they've just got a bad offensive line, which is very uncharacteristic for this team, but they're just they're not good. They may avoid negative plays, but they're not opening up big holes. So Allen and Ches Malusi and Isaac Durendo have not had a whole lot of opportunities to break off explosive runs. And on top of that, Graham Mertz is getting sacked a lot. Uh, this year, he's up to 23 sacks. Uh, last year, he had 13. And in his first year as a starter, 2020, he had 12 sacks. Clearly, there's a, a bit of a, a weak link up front that we're not used to, and we can attribute some of that to youth, but not entirely. This is just, um, what, if, if you want to point to a reason why Paul Christ was fired that makes a lot of sense, it's the fact that the offensive line has very slowly slipped, not to the level of Iowa bad, but is certainly um, not what Wisconsin expects out of their front five. Braylon Allen, though, is still Braylon Allen. <laughs> he took a lot of hits last week against Nebraska and came off the field a couple times, but he's a very tough runner, 6'2", 235. He looks very patient this year, very willing to wait for holes to open, and, of course, has the acceleration to burst through those holes and make you pay if you do not get him down immediately. Got 10 rushing touchdowns on the year. Complimented by Isaac Garendo, who is their kick returner. He's shown some explosiveness as well this year. Uh, and then Chesmo Lucy came back against Nebraska after missing a few games with a wrist injury. He's not quite as dangerous as the others, but has been pretty solid for them. They're all built very very well. Malusi at 210, Durendo at 223. These are tough guys to bring down. Just you know, yeah. we'll stop. They they're they're strong. They're big. Mertz, like I said, I, I don't think he's raised his floor, just he's not hitting his floor as often as he used to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. His lows are as low as ever. He His accuracy can abandon him. He can throw to no one sometimes. He doesn't always make great decisions. He's got nine interceptions on the year, and it's not hard to understand why when you look at the types of interceptions he throws. At the same time, he's... Like I said, completing more deep passes. He has shown a pretty good ability to make throws on the run. He's not a guy who will tuck and run, but uh, when he breaks from the pocket or if he's on a designed rollout, um, his accuracy doesn't seem to suffer as much as it does for a lot of quarterbacks. So if you can keep him in the pocket, you know, that will that will be key because if if a quarterback breaks from the pocket, then your, your linebackers kind of have to respond. It opens up more room, and he might be able to make you pay in that regard. At receiver, I don't see any stars. Chimray DK is good. Styler Bell, pretty good. But especially at tight end, it's pretty weak. They don't have Dick Ferguson anymore. Clay Cundiff is out for the year, and he wasn't exceptional when he was in, but we did store a couple touchdowns. Um, so they've been doing Jack Eschenbach, who's got 12 catches, but has not really made anything out of those catches. Aiden Rucci has four catches on the year. And then Cole Dakovich, or Dakovich rather, hasn't recorded any stats this year. Obviously, they'll go to three tight end sets from time to time. So worry about that. But I don't think they, any of those three tight ends is a major concern. Um, so... 
I think there's a chance that you will be able to play a version of the same game plan as last year where you just swarmed the ball and you try to make Graham Mertz beat you because um, he has shown a pretty significant tendency to to implode, honestly, to make a really bad decision, to make a really bad throw and hand other teams the game. This In November, by the way, his completion rate is about 40%. Nice. So, um, whereas Spencer Petrus was kind of trending upward entering your game, um, you cannot say the same of Mertz. He hasn't been playing Northwestern, and that has kind of hurt his ability to do his job, um, in addition to some bad weather and playing Iowa one week. But take advantage of the mistakes that he makes, and again, make your tackles, then I think you should be able to keep this fairly low scoring. Defensively, like I said, Wisconsin is still very strong, but that's mainly in the front seven. The secondary is very patchwork, a lot of transfers, some good transfers. Jay Shaw and Kamoyi Latu have uh, done fairly well in their first year. And John Torchio, who's been around for a long while, um, has done well as their strong safety. And on top of that, they've got a great pass rush. The thing is, their top pass rusher, one of the top pass rushers in the country, Nick Herbig, will be out for the first half after committing targeting against Nebraska. He's got 11 sacks on the year, and um, that will uh, his absence, I think, presents an opportunity to uh, to try to throw the ball. When, when you have a bit more time, you might be able to get more done. The Badgers are allowing a completion rate of almost 60%. They're allowing the 40th fewest yards per pass attempt. They're not impervious, I guess is what I'm saying. And they haven't played just a whole lot of great passing offenses in the Big Ten. So with her big out, this would be a chance to get the passing game going to try to present something that they have to account for other than Muhammad Ibrahim. Obviously, they do have some other guys that can get to the passer. Their nose tackle, Keanu Benton, is very, very good. He's got four sacks on the year as well as four non-sack tackles for loss. CJ Getz can get to the passer. And uh, their, their inside linebacker, Muma John Mehta, has, has done pretty well as well. So... Um, it's key what you get out of your center this this week because it's an All-American going up against a potential All-American in Benton. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be key what you do up front uh, and how you neutralize or work around what they have up front and uh, your ability to offer some other options and also not make key mistakes like you did last week. How are you feeling about this one? I don't know. You know. I really want us to win. <laughs> um, and I think the matchup, I mean, Wisconsin is not great. I mean, this is not, this is not the fabled, you know, Jonathan Taylor and an elite, you know, offensive line and a really elite defense of years past. I, I guess, you know, you don't want to speculate on the player psychology, but I want to speculate on my own psychology. And I want to say I am deflated. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's, I mean, on paper, we probably win 20 to 16, 20 to 17. You know, I think it'll probably be a little bit higher scoring than the Iowa game. It just, it almost just has to be. 
but you know, Wisconsin's fine. I I I I I I think we beat them last year and they were probably a little bit stronger last year, but I don't know. It feels like another 50-50 game more or less. So I'll say 20 to 17 Gophers, but I, I think it's I think it's a toss up again. The computers agree that it's probably a toss up. The FEI has a 66% chance that Minnesota wins, and that's the most confident in either direction that I've seen. Um, most of the projections have it in the 50s. Massey and FPI give it to Wisconsin. SP plus CFP drafts gives it to Minnesota. The store projections are maybe a little more optimistic than I would be. I think the over-under of 36 is a bit closer to what I would say. I'm going to say 20 to 14 in favor of Wisconsin. Yeah. I just, I looked at the state of Minnesota's offense, how single-minded it is. And again, the lack of any sort of um, aggressiveness from their head coach. It's all just... It's all just becoming a bit tiresome. And yeah. like like you, I'm very deflated. So maybe if uh, we had Northwestern between Iowa and Wisconsin, I'd be flipping the store. But right now, I don't feel wonderful about it. I think it'll be a more high-scoring high than Iowa, like you said. But this is um, – I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be pretty nervous for this one. I think if, if, if I have one – if I want to say one thing to the optimistic point – that game proved that Mo Ibrahim can run on anybody. And with this line, you know, if 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 I have faith in nothing else, it's that he's going to get 130 yards and a touchdown or two. I don't know if that'll be enough, but, you know, why not, you know? <laughs> 130 yards would make him the program's all-time leading rusher, by the way. He's, yeah, uh, it's probably 100... Yeah, go on. He's 127 behind Daryl Thompson now. And you kind of got to figure he probably has to get it to this 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 week. I can't imagine he'll play in a bowl game. I as much as I would love him to, I can't imagine Mo risking his health for the Quick Lane Bowl. I would be shocked if he plays in a bowl game. Uh, I, I think probably the only way we, you were going to get him in a bowl game is if you were going to a really good one, especially because the load he's taken on has just gone up as the week as the weeks go by. Yeah, you know, 39 carries is nuts. It, it's not just uh, running the ball more. It's Trey Potts and Bryce Williams aren't touching that thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think if you get another performance like your offensive line got against Iowa, and I mean, you're not going to get that level of performance from Ibrahim again just because it's impossible. even the, even yeah. the greats are addressed to the mean as, as high as their mean is. So... But I, I think he should be able to run the ball if the offensive line does okay and if you can spread them out a bit. But anyway, 2.30 on ESPN is the kickoff. Brian Custer and Dustin Fox are on the call. The weather is going to be a lot more tolerable than it was this past weekend. I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever been as cold at a football game. Maybe my first time at a Wisconsin-Minnesota game when I decided to wear running shoes for three hours, not a good idea. Low 40s, not terribly windy, mostly cloudy. There's a chance of some showers maybe in the fourth quarter. Um, should be pretty manageable, though. 
There are obviously some other big games in the Big Ten this weekend. Friday, 3 o'clock on FS1, or sorry, on BTN, Nebraska goes to Iowa. Iowa, if they win, will win the Big Ten West. Iowa, if they lose, I think, I, I, I actually don't pretend to know what the exact scenario is. There's a scenario where Illinois can win the West. I think it means Purdue and Iowa both have to lose and Illinois wins, but I'm not certain. Rutgers goes to Maryland, 11 o'clock on BTN on Saturday. At the same time on Big Fox, Michigan plays Ohio State, two versus three in that one. Purdue plays Indiana on BTN, 2.30. One of the other, the alternative BTNs, Illinois plays Northwestern at the same time. And then at three o'clock, the battle for the land grant trophy, Michigan State, Penn State on FS1. What will you be watching this weekend? Yeah, so it's tough. I do have to work all day Friday, so I won't be able to watch as many games as I would like to. I would love that Tulane and Cincy matchup on ABC at 11. Outside of that, uh, you know, Arkansas, Missouri, <laughs> neither of those teams are good, and we expected we expected Arkansas to be good. But um, it's kind of a level game, Missouri fighting for bowl eligibility. That's the kind of game that I would probably have on at some point. Um, and, you know, if, if, it, if it turned out to be good enough, uh, NC State, North Carolina, probably not great. Uh, then going down to Saturday, I don't think South Carolina Clemson will be great, but South Carolina did just route Tennessee. So all of a sudden they're at seven wins, you know, Rattlers on fire, I guess. <laughs> so I don't expect that to be a great game, but. You know, I don't know. Maybe they've maybe they've turned an unexpected corner. I have to shout out. I uh, have to shout out. Uh, oh, what game was it? I, there was a couple real stinkers here. New Mexico, Colorado State was the big one. I think. Um, I think that's on Friday. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, two two and nine teams. Yeah, that one. That's that's a really bad game. As for other good games, I don't know call it Coastal James Madison. I know JMU is favored, but uh, Coastal's a pretty good team. Kentucky-Louisville, uh, programs that are seemingly trending in opposite directions in the last few weeks, but that's a rivalry game. That could be fun. And then Oregon-Oregon State uh, as well. That could be. That's a, that's a rivalry game. Oregon State, very good this year. Again, one of those things where I don't know if I expect them to win, but they're good enough uh, that there's a reasonable probability that it's a watchable game. Spread's only three points. Wow. I, uh, I If this game was at night, I would be, be a great turning this on after I get out of Camp Randall. Yeah. Uh, but it's at 2.30, so won't be able to watch it. I, I, I do want to note Wyoming-Fresno State on Friday night. It's it's a late game, but um, Fresno State is uh, currently ahead by just one game in the Mountain West West. I guess they probably have it locked up, having beaten San Diego State. But they're seven and four right now, and Wyoming, despite things looking pretty bad at the start of the year, they're yeah. also seven and four. So well, Fresno State things looked pretty bad at the start of the year as well. Albeit they were losing to better teams than we thought they would, but they still they looked pretty bad. We were down on them. Yeah, um, 
they, they've kind of turned things around pretty well. It does help when you have a back end of uh, the schedule of yeah. San Jose State, who's good, New Mexico, San Diego State, who is also pretty okay, but only on defense. Then Hawaii, UNLV, and Nevada, you know, no, uh, no world beaters in there. No. What about uh, Saturday night? Anything you want to highlight there? Uh, I'm going to the trampled show, so I haven't really picked up on many, uh, many games there, but just kind of glancing at it. Uh, Washington Wazoo should be pretty good to pretty solid offenses, uh, you know, kind of gunslinging Air Force, San Diego State. I don't know about Kansas, Kansas State, but Kansas is bowl eligible. So Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov to them. Go get yours. This would be a fantastic end to a magical Kansas run. I think if they were to win the win that game and it's not out of their own possibility, but they probably won't. Obviously Notre Dame USC is big. Yep. If you are willing to trust Notre Dame, I'm not certain if I am, but Hey, app state Georgia Southern is rivalry week now, mm-hmm. which is great fun. Five o'clock on ESPN plus they call this rivalry deeper than hate. Yeah. App state is not as great as it looks like they might be. They're six and five right now. Georgia Southern, though, five and six. This is a pretty pivotal game for uh, for them. Obviously, wanted to make a bowl in Clay Helton's first year, so keep an eye on that. And in the late slot, yeah, like you said, Apple Cup is kind of it. What about what about now? Hear me out. Drum roll, please. Tennessee Vandy. It depends. I mean, so I I don't believe in Joe Milton. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, nor should you. (laughs) That's kind of my point. Yeah, I. um, That is certainly a uh, if I had SEC network and didn't have to kind of. Work around things, deal with parents, TV logins and stuff, I might keep that up as a second screen if it's close in the second quarter. Yeah. Might not. Instead, the, the, I, I, I do think we should have like a, an advisory on, not like a, we're not upgrading this to upset watch. We're just, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're a low grade. This is DEFCON uh, four, we'll say, but this is the last regular college football weekend of the year. The FCS playoffs are also starting. We don't have to run down all of those games. So uh, Idaho, Southeastern Louisiana, Southeast Missouri State, Montana. Those might be interesting in the evening. But it feels like this has gone by very quickly this season, doesn't it? It does. It always does. Next weekend will be conference championship weekend. Hopefully the Iowa Hawkeyes are not a part of things, but I imagine they probably will be. Uh, But there will be other games to watch, and there will be more football to discuss. And week after that, we'll know what bowl game the Dofers are going to. Hello, Detroit. God, I hope. If if there's somehow a way to get to Nashville, please do it. (laughs) I can't take a bowl game during the workday. That would suck so much. And Detroit would also suck. But anyway, anything we want to mention before we sign off? Go Tommies! St. Thomas won the Pioneer League this year in their second second year of conference uh, conference eligibility. So, and second year Division One. So good good for them. Basketball team's playing all right too. 
Well, good for them indeed. Let's go get that axe. Amen. <laughs>